Hey, if you have a Bible, turn with me to Deuteronomy chapter 30. We are going to dive right in, and I'm just going to kind of read one passage of Scripture. It's going to be what, like, launches us into the New Testament, and you've got to understand a little context. You've got Moses. He's not going to be able to enter into the promised land, and he's got some words for the Hebrew people to prepare them as they enter into the promised land, and he says this in Deuteronomy chapter 30, verse 19. This day I call the heavens and the earth as witnesses against you that I set before you life and death, blessings and curses. Now choose life so that you and your children may live. I love this. So you got to understand, he like calls today. Today. Today's a big day for the Hebrew people. And he's like, okay, here's what's going to happen. I'm going to call heaven and earth so cosmic and they're going to bear witness because in the ancient Near East, whenever there was a covenant, you needed to have two witnesses, kind of like a marriage ceremony, and you, you have to sign, and you've got the best man and, and the maid of honor. Moses just calls heaven and earth as witnesses. And then he sets before us life and death, blessings and curses, and then he says these three words, now choose life. That's so beautiful. Now, the word choose in Hebrew is the word bahar. Let me hear you say bahar. And Bahar means this, what you choose, you boldly proclaim, is the best possible way to live. So yesterday I said, every one of us, we breathe in and inhale, exhale 18 times per minute. Well, sociologists will tell us that every day we have 34,000 choices that we make. And every day we are confronted with the choice to choose life and what leads to it, to choose death and what brings it, to choose the blessings and the favor and the honor of God, or to choose what can bring pain and struggle and curses. And the invitation is now choose life. But let's even take this even farther. When you think about how God created the Hebrew people and how God created humanity, You've got this sense of, like, and I mentioned this yesterday, God, almost like an artist in a, in a studio taking kind of the dirt of the ground, and, and Adam literally means, Adam means dirt man, and he shapes and forms this man, breathes life into him, but he gives his image, his image to humanity. That means every person that we come in contact with, whether they are a believer or not, has something to teach us about Yahweh. Every single person. But when you think about the other religions, the way they told their lower G God story was through buildings, through idols. They would have these massive celebrations. But how did God choose to tell who he was? He actually chose to tell who he was through us and through what we choose and how we choose to engage with him, how we choose to engage with others, how we choose to live in step and in tune and in harmony with Yahweh, he said, I'm actually gonna let you tell who I am and what I'm for and what I'm against. I'm gonna trust you. And so here's what I need you to understand. What you choose matters because your choices can lead to life. Not just for you, but it also can lead to death and struggle and pain, not just for you as well. And Moses wanted the Hebrew people to understand this. As you enter into this land, this land that was given to you by God, be people who choose 
life again and again and again and again and again. And then it's the next day again and again and again and again. And Peter, Peter, I think, understands this idea. And so let's jump to the New Testament to 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 13. And I, I want you to see this. This is just beautiful to me. Peter says this, therefore, with minds that are alert and fully sober, so just saying focused, saying fixated on the present, set your hope on the grace to be brought to you when Jesus Christ is revealed at his coming. No getting distracted. All the circumstances that are happening around you, no, no, you, you're focused here and you're focused on the hope of Jesus coming. And then he says verse 14, as obedient children... Do not conform to the evil desires you had when you lived in ignorance. Before Jesus, when you were like went with the world, you chose whatever you wanted to choose, and you were being shaped and formed by culture in the world. He's like, don't ever return. We don't go backwards in our story. Like we, we are like the people who are choosing Christ and choosing the hope of when Christ returns. And then he says this. But just as he who called you is holy, so be holy in all you do. For it is written, be holy because I am holy. I read this passage, and obviously it, it's taken from the Old Testament, the Hebrew Scriptures. But the call is to be holy in every decision. To be holy in every action, to be holy in every word that comes out of our mouth. And when I think about this idea of being holy, for the Hebrew people, they understood this as like kind of being someone who was set apart, someone who was consecrated. They had a purpose, they had a mission, they were living for a reason. But even more than that, they understood what it meant to be holy as being someone who was whole, not fractured, who was holy, set apart and someone who is spiritually healthy. And friends, this is what we're called. We are called to be whole and holy and spiritually healthy. And I think, I think we all kind of see this and go, yeah, yeah, totally, yeah, for sure. But then I start reading this passage over and over and over again, and the question that comes to me is, why do I keep making unholy choices? Why, why throughout my day when the invitation is to Bahar life, do I choose me? Or, or why in the moments when it's an invitation to bring about honor and blessings, not just to me from God, but for others, do I choose to escape? Do I choose self-sabotage? Do I choose struggle? Have you ever wondered when you were watching the news, why did somebody say that? Have you ever had a moment when you were like reading and maybe the news or maybe you were just reading on Facebook and, and you're just kind of going, why would someone do that? Or the question goes, what were they thinking? And you, and you start to wonder, like, well, what was going through their mind where they actually decided to put that out into the earth? Like, what? what? And, then, and then in your mind, you're like, Really? What were they thinking? And, and, and I, the best way in order to describe this is, you know, I, I lived in Chicago for seven years. And, and Chicago is a beautiful city. I say it's a nicer, cleaner New York. 
It's got great food. It's got the best pizza, Luminati's. Um, it, it's, it's unbelievable. It's a great, great city. The problem with Chicago, outside of taxes, we can talk about that later, but the, uh, the problem with Chicago is something called potholes. They are everywhere, legitimately everywhere. A, a number of months ago, I was driving my car, and you're literally like dodging them. You, you're literally, you're constantly looking at the car in front of you and on the, on the ground, just looking for them. And you're just going around them. And one day, I just drive over, and I knew right away, I got a flat tire. And I, I'm just like, come on, not today. And I pull the car over. But here's the crazy thing. In the city of Chicago, you can dial 311. And 311 is where you can report where there is a pothole. Can you hear? Yep. It, like, it, like, they have not reported that pothole. Like, someone's reported and they haven't fixed it. They'll actually pay for your flat tire. And so as I'm pulled over and I'm, I'm dialing 311 and I'm like, please, Lord, clerical error, clerical error. A lady picks up the phone. And I'm like, hey, here's where I'm at. She's like, oh, that's awesome. I'm like, it's not because I got a flat tire. And she's like, oh. And, and I'm like, and I'm, I'm a teacher and so I'm curious and probably too curious at times. And I'm like, hey, if you've got a number to, like, call when someone hits a pothole, like, how many potholes are there in the Chicago? And she's like, that's an interesting question. You know, the Chicago Tribune just did an, a, a, an article on us. I'm like, do tell. She goes, can Sorry, is this going in and out? I mean, I'll use the wireless. All right. Um, so all of a sudden, they're like, can, can, you, can you guess how many potholes that we have filled in this year? And I'm like, man, I'm not always good at when someone asks me a question where they already know the answer. I just feel like that was like my childhood. And so I'm like, I'm like I don't know, 15,000. She goes, just a little bit more. I said, okay, 25,000. She goes, just a little bit more. And I'm like, man, I know I got to wait for the tow truck guy to come. Why don't you just tell me? And she goes, okay. From January 1st, 2018 to March 21st, 2018, we filled in 192,000 potholes. Yeah, I kid you not, if you go to the city of Chicago website, they have a pothole tracker. This is it, this is it, where they can literally show their work. Which gets me randomly thinking, can you imagine like bring your kid to like, bring your like dad to school day, and all of a sudden you're like, a, you're kindergarten, you're there, and you're like, hey, my name's Tommy. This is my dad, Khalil Mack. He plays for the Chicago Bears. They're like, oh, that's awesome. Way to go. How nice to meet you, Khalil. You're awesome. Hi, I'm Johnny. My dad runs the pothole tracker for the city of Chicago. Oh, my goodness, you're amazing. I just, like, have this, like, <laughs> vision in my mind. Like, this, the amount of power to fill in the pothole tracker. But it's a big deal, and you gotta understand, as I got really, really curious about it, potholes are caused by inclement weather. Water freezes, it expands, the asphalt can't handle it, and a pothole is created. So the city of Chicago comes by, they look at the pothole, and then all of a sudden they go, eh, inclement weather. They add a little bit of asphalt, they click the little blue circle, and they move on. And this is what they do every single day. And you know it's springtime in Chicago when the orange barrels are in full bloom. Construction cones everywhere. It's crazy. But here's the thing. There are some times when you actually go up to a pothole and you realize these weren't caused by inclement weather. There's actually 
something else underneath the surface. Maybe a leaky sewage pipe, maybe some sense of erosion. And this literally happened in Chicago a couple of years ago. A 72-year-old man was driving, and a pothole became a sinkhole. And he had the ride of his life. He's okay, but this is a picture of the sinkhole. And I start to think about this. All of a sudden, the truth is, every one of us, we got potholes. We have potholes. And some of those potholes are just super easy, right? Someone says something, but we spent time in God's word. We spent time listening to a little bit of worship, and we're like, no problem. We get in our car, we've got our coffee, which is a, a spiritual discipline, and we're driving, and, and we've spent the time with the Lord, and someone cuts us off, and we're like, grace and peace to you. You didn't see a big minivan, you don't care about my family, but I will bless you and pray for you. <laughs> we just do that. But there are other times when somebody gets too close to one of our potholes, and I begin to realize, oh my goodness, it ends up having some sense of collateral damage. I remember when I planted a church in Southern California, there was a guy who was really connected to the church that we were, we were planting. And he reminded me of somebody who wounded me really, really badly. It was just like his tone. And it was just kind of like the way that he just carried himself. He's a great guy, loves the Lord, but there was just something about him that reminded me of somebody else. And I came home and I told my wife and I said, babe, like, you don't understand. Like, this guy, like, he just, when he speaks, it just, something happens within me. I feel like a part of me shuts down and, and it's just, it just rubs me wrong. And you know what her response is? Isn't God so kind? And I was like, no, 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 that's not the answer I wanted. I, I need you to get on my team. And she's like, no, 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 God's so kind. Because there's an area in your life where there is pain that has gone unnoticed, where there has been a trauma and a hurt that has gone unintended. And God longs to make you whole and holy and spiritually healthy, and he won't stop bringing people into your life until you honor that truth. And you know what I said to her? Get behind me, Satan. Like, what do you, you do? And she was full on right. And here's what I need you to understand. God is so kind that the potholes that you have in your story that you've allowed to go unnoticed and unattended and unchecked, he's gonna keep bringing people in your life until you honor its truth. And what I wanna do is I wanna walk you through 1 Peter because I want you to see that he actually helps us get to the thing beneath the thing. And this will help you understand, why do I do what I do? Why do I make the choices that I, I actually, in the moment, I'm not thinking that they're, they're gonna lead to life, but they're gonna lead to an, a form of escape. And they're not like, it's not helping me. It's not helping me in my relationships with my kids or grandkids or my coworkers or even my spouse or my neighbors or people who are far from God. And I think one of the best ways, the best witness tools that we can have is we become people who are whole, holy, and spiritually healthy. And we make decisions that are from a spiritually healed place. And that's what I want for you. That's what I think God calls us. I think that's what Peter's saying, like be holy in all you do. And it's not something that you just sing and it's not something you just say, it actually takes work. 
takes work. And, and Dallas Willard brilliantly says, grace, grace is opposed to earning, but it is not opposed to effort. Because what you need to lean into the fullness of grace is sometimes to open yourselves up to some of those areas and some of those potholes and some of those wounds. And so let me just begin with what is a trigger? Because we all have them. We all have triggers. We all have these potholes that when your spouse or your kid or your neighbor gets close to them, something happens within you. And so a trigger is right here up on the screen. It will say this. A trigger is something that sets off a memory of some former wound or trauma or pain. And, and, and this, is, this is a clue. And sometimes I think when we get triggered, man, we just like run away from it and we try to escape. We try to escape that feeling. But sometimes I think it's actually a gift of God trying to show us, like my wife said, of a place in our story that isn't yet whole, that isn't yet healed, that isn't yet set apart. And instead of just trying to quickly go somewhere, man, what if we could just spend a few moments and just get really, really real and get really, really honest? Do you know what triggers you? And if you don't know, just ask the person to the right or left because they do know. There's a reason your wife carries a cliff bar in her purse because she knows if you don't have food, you get hangry. And she just hands you food. There's a whole Snickers campaign built on this. But we all have these triggers. And if we don't deal with these triggers and get aware of them, we will keep making decisions that don't lead to life, don't leave, lead to blessings, don't lead to kind of the holiness that God calls us to. But they lead to brokenness and pain. And they actually, some of these decisions actually could lead to a sinkhole. And let's just be really, really candid, really, really clear. Sometimes we think our decisions only affect us. But there is always collateral damage. When we make decisions and choices and actions and speak from an unhealthy place. And it doesn't always just affect us. I think we all probably feel this time and time again where you go like, I, I don't want to have to say I'm sorry again. I don't want to have to like, ah, oh, I did it again. Ah, oh, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. And there's something inside of us where this could become a really, really beautiful moment where we begin to lean in and say, man, I got to know where my triggers are, but I also got to know when I get triggered, I'm going to go somewhere. See, a trigger is almost like the, the setup for a joke. Whenever someone comedian is working on a joke, they're trying to like really work on the setup because whatever the setup is, it's going to deliver the punch. And, and, and you've got to understand the trigger is the setup, is the precursor for the broken choice that you might choose. And really, those choices, those choices ought not be filled with pain or struggle or sin, and literally all sin is, is, is like sometimes we use the definition of like missing the mark, but sin really is, is choosing to live less than, less than what you were created and intended to live. And, and I keep thinking about this because I wanna try to instill in my son and my daughter, and I wanna try and not actually make choices that are gonna lead to more struggle and pain for them. And so in 1 Peter chapter 2, Peter writes, and he speaks, and he says five things 
five specific areas that you have to get rid of. And I believe that these five areas actually are where most people tend to go. As a pastor for almost 20 years, having people come sit in my office again and again and again, and I ask them, hey, tell me more. What led you to that choice? What led you to that decision? Nobody has ever woke up one day and said, you know what I'm gonna do today? I'm gonna go train wreck my life. Nobody ever says that. But somehow, something happened that set them off and they began going down a certain course or direction. And so here's what I really wanna get after is I want you to begin to really listen because I believe that God's presence is here. I believe in God's spirit is wanting to make us all aware what triggers us and where do we go to help us understand why we do what we do. So back to the scriptures, 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 1. Therefore, rid yourselves of all malice and all deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and slander of every kind. Now, I'm gonna focus on the first two words right now, malice and deceit. And I, and I really think with malice and deceit, these play into the idea that when we get triggered, for many of us, the first thing that we end up doing is we go into hiding. And malice, malice is an old word. We don't tend to use it too much today, but it often it's, it's the sense of evil within. Sometimes we won't act on it, but it's like we just feel it. We just feel it so deeply. We want to escape it. And then the, the deceit is kind of like the pretending, uh, pretending that it's all okay, pretending to be somebody else, not being honest and human about what's really, really happening. And when I think for many people that I've sat with, when they get triggered, it's almost like a return back to the garden. And, and you all know this story. Man and the woman in the garden, there's this serpent just trying to tempt and test. And he basically says, taste this. God's holding back from you. And the woman sees it and sees that it's like desirable for gaining wisdom and pleasing to the eyes. She takes some and she eats it. And then she gives it to her husband. And he's like, free food. And he eats it. And all of a sudden, what do they feel? They feel this sense of shame and anxiety. It's the first time you ever experienced this. And, and the woman's like, I'm naked, that's so uncool. And the guy's like, you're naked, that's so cool. And there's just like, there's just this moment, right? And then they, they feel this, they feel all of this and they start to cover up. And then they hear God walking in the cool of the garden and what do they do? They go and hide. And it's the first game of hide and seek ever. And God begins to pursue his creation and he's not angry. He's not screaming. He's just simply asking, where are you? Where's, where's my image? Where's my creation? Where are you? It's a beautiful question. And I think when we begin to really lean into, for many of us, we find ourselves, when we get triggered, we somehow want to go into a place of hiding. And that could be Netflix. We could just binge Stranger Things season three all in one night. And that could be Cold Stone Creamery and we could just eat a whole truckload of ice cream. That could be something where we find ourselves on social media super late at night. That could be something like pornography. That could be a conversation with a, with a friend from high school that's just a little maybe too far, but we're wanting something. That could be something where we look at our country and the amount of 
credit card debt is just skyrocketing. And, and we're just buying things and trying to get this feeling. I mean, the man and the woman, what do they do? They make clothes. They're trying to cover it. We've just been able to get plastic and buy clothes. And we just do this. And again and again, for many of us, where we get triggered, you have to be aware, where do you go? How do you choose hiding? Um, when we lived in Chicago, my daughter was playing with a friend down in the basement. They're down in the basement, they come up, and as they come up from the basement, it looks like they got into a bar fight with Tinkerbell and lost. There is glitter everywhere. And so um, my wife and, and, and the other girl's mom, they end up taking them into the bathtub, they clean them up, and, and, then, and then I have the kind of idea to um, go down to the basement and see um, the damage. And so I bring my daughter, Mercy, and this is what happened. Mercy, what's in your hair? What's on the ground? <laughs> okay. So that's not really as bad as it was. But here's what I want you to see. When, when I ask her, hey, Mercy, what's in your hair? She goes like this, sparkles. And then I go like, okay, what's on the ground? She goes, sparkles. And then I'm just looking. And something happened in me as I'm doing this. And in my mind, practically, I'm thinking, Dad. And I'm going, oh, my goodness. This isn't coming out. This is a replacement of all the carpet down in the basement. And where is this money going to come from? It's practically going in my mind. And I'm also really, really thinking about how does a five-year-old in this moment already know what shame is? If you, like, look at her posture, she's like this. Sparkles. Sparkles. And, and I just was like, Man, and I, and I watch this. I watch grown people do this and make a decision, sparkles. And then they go into hiding. Somebody, somebody sinned against you and made you feel less than, and you don't know what to do, and so you just run to something that will self-soothe you, nourish you. And these become, as Tim Keller says, our counterfeit gods. They become our idols. They become the thing that we know how to get something from it, and we go into hiding. So what triggers you? Where do you go? And Peter says, you gotta be aware of this, and you gotta rid yourself of all of those places where there's that malice within you. There is that deceit within you. The second thing he says is, you, you gotta be aware you got to be aware that for many people, when they get triggered, you know where they go? They go to insecurity. They get triggered, and all of a sudden, they go to insecurity. They go from trigger to hiding, trigger to insecurity. And this is the word hypocrisy. And you know what hypocrisy is? Hypocrisy was a, was a, was a term for, for performers. Uh, many of you know this, but it, it's where we get this word like actor, hypocrite. 
And in the ancient Near East, you'd have these amphitheaters. They'd seat 25,000 people like in Ephesus. You'd have a two-person play, and they would be up there, and they'd have a backpack on. And inside their backpack, they'd have multiple masks. And then all of a sudden, they would perform and put on a mask and literally begin to be this certain character talking to one person, and then the other person would put on a mask. And they would constantly be shifting these masks having different accents, different voices, different people that they were having these personas of. And the truth is, for many of us, when we get triggered and we feel less than, there's two places that we tend to go. We tend to go, I have no self-worth. And when all of a sudden this mask comes on, just nothing. Or... I get triggered and my insecurity comes and I power up and I have it all together and a mask comes on and all of a sudden I am performing or I am pleasing or I am powering up or I am perfecting or I am pretending and all of a sudden both of these are not who you are (laughs) and both of these versions of you are really because something triggered you. And it made you feel small and you either chose to believe that instead of who Christ says you are or it made you feel small and you had to prove that they are wrong. And both of those decisions to go to that place makes total sense. I totally understand it. And the decisions that come out of powering up in pride or just getting really, really small aren't decisions that are gonna lead to life and being whole and holy and spiritually healthy. Where do you go when you get triggered? Do you go into hiding and where do you hide? Or do you go into insecurity and where do you go? What mask do you put on to think of yourself so less than or pretend that you are more than than you actually are? Here's the third place that people go. You get to, back to 1 Peter chapter 2. He says, rid yourself. Rid yourself of all malice, all deceit. Rid yourself of hypocrisy. And then the next one he says is, rid yourself of all envy and slander. And envy is, envy I think is one of the most dangerous words in all of the scriptures. And nobody wants to address this. But I think growing up in California, Envy is like a language we know, but we never talk about. And envy is different from coveting. And envy is different from jealousy. See, coveting is I covet what my neighbor has. Jealousy, you can only be jealous, biblical understanding of jealousy, you can only be jealous for what belongs to you. I can't be jealous for what my neighbor has. I can covet it, but I can't be jealous because he doesn't belong to me. My wife can be jealous for my time. God can be jealous for his kid's heart and attention. So we belong to him. But envy, envy's different. Envy is all based on the economics of scarcity. And back in the ancient Near East, they only believed that there was so much good to go around. And so if someone was gifted and blessed, let's say like Renee. Renee's been gifted and blessed. 
and all of a sudden favor has come onto him and his family, what would end up happening is people would become envious, and you'll see this in the scriptures, they would use this word like the evil eye, and people would give Renee the evil eye because they would hope and pray that somehow something would happen in Renee's life where he would train wreck and release all of that goodness back up in the air so that maybe I could get it. And this was like the equivalent of like the two-year-old stink eye. Remember like your kid like looks at you like, oh, I don't like you. This is how people would be. And envy, we find ourselves envious of our neighbor's stuff. Envy, that, that how, how do they get blessed with that? And instead of praising God and thanking God for how they have been blessed, we just want to bring them down. And so what ends up happening is sometimes when we get triggered, we go to envy. Or we go to slander. And slander, slander is when we get triggered, all of a sudden we just start going after people. We start raging against people. And, and, and literally, sometimes we, we, we find ourselves gossiping about someone. And all gossip is, is it's Plato theology. We start to shape and form someone in our image instead of calling out the image of God in another. And we shape and form them. And we're like, this is who they are. This is who they are. And for some of us, we get triggered. And where do we go? We start telling narratives about other people. And we create stories about other people. And you just, I mean, again, I can take you to Facebook. I, I can take you to news. And all of a sudden, we can create stories about people. People that we ought to be bearing witness to, we are attacking. And we live in this age of outrage right now. And I'm watching it, and I see it online, and literally, here's what happens. Someone feels less than, and so they slander another person, and they feel less than, and they slander, and it just goes back and forth, back and forth, back and forth, until someone doesn't respond. It's like online tennis, and you're just watching it volley back and forth, back and forth. And, I, and I'm like, what does it lead to? And really, when you play it all back, all of a sudden, something happened where someone felt less than. Someone got triggered, and it could have been a moment for profound levels of healing. No. It led to not life, but death. Not blessings, but just pain and brokenness and cursing. Where do you go? Where do you go when you get triggered? Hiding, insecurity, narrative? And, and maybe this will help you. But when you get triggered, it's really an opportunity. It's an opportunity for you to slow down and become aware. And, and the real tool that I want to give you is just three words. Play it out. Because you are going to have a choice to actually go somewhere else to try and care for your heart and care for your soul. And this is our counterfeit gods. And uh, a number of months ago, I took my son fishing in Arizona. And we're fishing. My father-in-law is with us. And, and I'm always competing against my father-in-law because he's, he's just way more of a man than I am. And, and so we're, we're fishing. And I haven't caught anything. And my son... My son has caught seven. And he keeps looking at me. He goes, hey, Dad, how many do you have? And I'm like, oh, I'm getting so triggered right now. And I'm like, hey, come over here. He goes, I want to show you something. He walks over, and I just push him into the water. 
Like, pride comes before the fall, son. I pick him back up. But I, I started thinking about this. You know what's amazing about temptation? Temptation, really, if you read the book of James, it's like being lured. And I started thinking about this. Like, fish just aren't that smart. All right? Like, every day, thousands of people are just out there putting bait, and all of a sudden, they just, they just cast it out there, and all of a sudden, you got a fish. And I just wonder, someday, is there one fish who sees his buddy about ready to bite a fake piece of bait, and he's like, don't do it. Don't do it. Because if you do it, here's what's going to happen. You're going to bite, and it's not even real, and there's going to be a hook that's going to go through your mouth, and then all of a sudden, you're going to try and break free, and it's going to bust your whole jaw, and then there's going to be this fight that happens, and then they're going to pull you up, and they're going to pull you up, and all of a sudden, they're going to rip you off, and you're not going to have much of a lip, and then they're going to have you stand there for 19 minutes while they try to get the right picture on Instagram with you and a seven-year-old, and then they're going to throw you into a cooler, and it's just going to be there. And then they're going to drive, I don't know how long, 20, 25 minutes. And then they're either going to kind of fillet you then or put you in a freezer. And they put you in a freezer, you're done. If they fillet you, you're done. And then they're going to make amazing fish tacos from you. Tell me, how good is that bait now? And literally, I sit with some of my friends and I watch, I watch just one more drink. And I'm like, dude, play it out, man. I remember when I was in college, and I saw, I saw a buddy of mine. He was married. And we're just sitting around a table, but I, I saw him. I saw the way that he looked at, at, at this waitress. He walks into the restroom. I walk with him, and I'm like, man, dude, play it out, bro. Play it out. He's like, what are you talking about? I'm like, I saw. I'm a guy. I know. He goes, ah, man, it's, it, we've known each other for a while. And I'm like, man, I'm telling you, please, if you've got anything going on there, tell me. Let me walk with you. I love you. Please, please, please. Six months later, left his wife, left his kids with her. And I, I, I knew it. And I just sit here and I'm like, I, and, I, and again, I have all these areas in my life where I get triggered and I have this choice. I have this choice. I can go into hiding. I can go into insecurity. I can tell a story about somebody else. And none of it, none of it, none of it will lead to life. None of it will lead to becoming whole and holy and spiritually healthy. And I'm watching just this decay happen. But there's another way. And there's another place. And there's a word that I think Peter has for every one of us. And when you get triggered, if you can slow it all down, and you can realize, I know what's happening here. And I'm going to choose to see myself differently. And I'm actually going to go to the one who can hold me and heal me. Something profound can happen. Go to 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 2. It says this. Like newborn babies crave pure spiritual milk, so that by it you may grow up in your salvation now that you have tasted that the Lord is good. Number one, last night I kind of ended the whole talk talking about humility. And if you talk to spiritual formation directors, you talk to people who um, 
just work in seminaries, you talk to pastors, I think that they will tell you um, the three most essential spiritual characteristics to speed up growth is stay humble, stay humble, and stay humble. And the more that you can see yourself and be honest and human with your true self, your true tendency to not choose life, to not choose Jesus, to choose yourself, the more that you can kind of have this humus, that's like the Latin word for humility, it means like from the earth, the more that you can return back to that and allow the spirit to cultivate the best kind of soil, the best kind of fruit with in the through his spirit, is when the goodness can happen. And the truth is, Peter's telling this church, you know how you need to see yourself? Like a newborn baby. I, I, I just think it's so beautiful. Because what, what does a baby want? To be held. What does a baby want? To be fed. What does a baby want? To be safe. What does a baby want? To be rocked. And he's like, don't think of yourself so highly. Uh, don't think of yourself like in a way that you ought not to. See yourself as a newborn child and crave the best kind of food. Crave the word. Crave his presence. Crave his spirit. Crave the activity of God in you. And when you've experienced that, you will taste and see that the Lord is good. And when you get around people who have struggled with addiction, and the truth is we're all addicts. Some of us just have more socially acceptable addictions. But when you actually get around people who say, hi, my name's Steve Carter, and I struggle with, and they say it. And I struggle with this because of X, Y, and Z in my story. And throughout my day, I get triggered by X, Y, and Z. And now... Instead of choosing self-sabotage or choosing something that's going to lead to more destruction or some kind of sinkhole in my family story, I'm choosing to go to the foot of the cross. I'm choosing to be honest. I'm choosing to be human. And I'm choosing to play it out and to get help. This is what it means to be whole. This is what it means and the work it takes to be holy. And this is what it means to get the invitation to allow the spirit to actually do the work to heal you and set you free. So here's some questions for you. Today, I just wonder, where, where do you get triggered? And where do you go? And I call this message the thing beneath the thing because thing has just become this acronym for me. Trigger, hiding, insecurity, narrative, or God. And when I get triggered, I'm going somewhere. And when I get triggered, I don't wanna go in hiding. I don't want any more malice and deceit because it doesn't just affect me. It affects my family and affects the people I lead and serve and I'm trying to bear witness to. And I don't wanna actually, when I get triggered, go to a false story of insecurity. I don't wanna think I'm less than who Christ intended me to be and I don't wanna prove that I'm something more. I wanna be human. I want to be honest. I want to be raw and authentic. Or, you know what? When I get triggered, I'm not going to start telling stories about some other group of people, except Buckeye fans. They deserve it. But like every, everybody else, I, I'm not, I don't want to be that kind of person. 
And it's so easy for us when we get triggered and feel less than to go after somebody else. But what if, what if we at Mount Hermon, what if we as leaders in our family, we said, you know what? I wanna choose life. And where I find life and the source for life and healing and the most satisfaction and wholeness is at the foot of the cross. And so today, my brothers and sisters of Mount Hermon, this day, I call heaven and earth as witnesses against you, that I set before you life and death, blessings and curses. When you get triggered, may you not make any excuses. May you stop going into hiding and telling a false narrative or some form of insecurity, but may we have the courage, the guts, the grit, and the belief to sit with a good, good father and taste and see that healing is possible, restoration is possible, and renewal within is possible. And please know, God loves you so much. It's his kindness that will lead you to repentance, and he won't stop. He didn't just stop to get you saved. He's not going to stop until every area of your life, every pothole in your story has been fully surrendered. May you trust him. Let's pray. God, I love you. I'm so grateful for you. And I think, I just pray, I, we all have potholes from our stories, from trauma, from wounds, and some are just horrific. Some have just felt like abandonment or neglect or abuse. And those don't just get healed overnight. And I think for many of us, we, we grew up in a time where we didn't have the, the tools or maybe the encouragement to talk about them. And so we've just known how to manage them. But every so often, you bring someone into our life that just gets close to that. And we feel it. And anger or pain or just fear or embarrassment or shame from the enemy just comes. And I just pray that even the remaining time as we get to walk in your creation, we just have the courage to share with our spouse, this is what triggers me. I'm, I'm tired of going here. Maybe even in the sessions with counselors this week, some of us would just be really, really honest. Here's where I've gone. Help me. And God, I, I pray for our kids and grandkids that they would see us making the kinds of decisions that bring life, not death. Bring blessings, not pain. So help us, God. May your spirit heal us. May your spirit guide us. And may you father us into what you choose as best for us. Pray all this your name and everyone said, amen. amen.